0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. New content will be available every week throughout 2016. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Uh, The first chapter of Romans. First chapter of Romans. And then we'll just uh, have a word of prayer. Father, we stand in your presence, thanking you for who you are, for all that you mean to us, and thanking you above all things that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, and that he saved us and washed us in his own precious blood. We thank you for the inspiration that your word gives us on a daily basis. Lord, this is our roadmap. This is what you have given us, Lord, to to guide our lives. And we give you thanks for it. Help us, Lord, today as we look into your word. Help us, Lord, to see, open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law, as the psalmist said. Help us, Lord, to do this today. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. So. Romans chapter 1, and reading from verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. And changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. He exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served a creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen." For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts one toward another. Men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness and sexual immorality and wickedness and covetousness and maliciousness, full of envy and murder and strife and deceit and evil-mindedness. They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, in Romans 1, verses 18-32 that we have just read together, Paul is evidently describing what happens to men and women who refuse to glorify God. They refuse to recognize God's glory. They refuse to submit to God's glory. Who deliberately and defiantly refuse to ascribe to God all of the glory that is due to him. And this is a double indictment. Whenever we consider that man himself was created in the very image of God, and we especially as his creatures were made according to Revelation four, eleven, to give him pleasure. And so glorifying God is our central function in our lives. And for all of our lives, we are to glorify God. He has put us on this earth to glorify him. Paul puts it this way in First Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do. Now, one of the big things that people are beginning to realize because it's very much in the forefront of our news all the time is that Islam is a religion for those who are its adherents and for those who are devout Muslims, that their religion is not just something they practice at Friday prayers, it is something that permeates their whole lives. The politics of their lives, their daily working lives, even how they lend money to one another, it it permeates every part of their life. And as believers, that should be us. Our Christianity as followers of Christ, it should permeate every aspect of our daily lives. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And somehow, sometimes Christians uh, compartmentalize their lives. There, there's the there's spiritual side, which is evident on a Sunday, usually. But then there's the, the other side. There's, a, there's the everyday life side. Uh, but as far as God's concerned, no. It's all of our lives. Every day, in every way, in everything, we should reflect the glory of God. That's what Paul's saying. In everything you do, on the factory floor, in the office where you work, in the classroom that you're in, in the lecture hall, among your neighbors, among your family. Everything you do should be to the glory of God. Now, we feel in that many times. We understand that in our humanity. But our propensity, our desire to do that should be always to glorify God. Now, all of God's creation is designed to reflect the glory of God. Psalm 19 and 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament shows his handiwork. And so when we look at the mountains and the valleys and the oceans and the sun and the stars and the heavens, all of that we see as a reflection of God's glory. Uh, and it's amazing to me In a way and yet not in another way. It's amazing that those often astronomers whose whole lives are spent peering into the heavens Do not see the glory of God? Don't get it Don't want to get it actually and that's the problem and so it's there not just for practical purposes, and, and all of that. I said, the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the valleys, the oceans, the rivers, the seas, all of that is there to regulate in a practical way our daily lives with the weather, with the seasons, with the times, and so forth, and that's wonderful, but above that, above that is to reflect the glory of God so that men might see and understand because it's a simple thing to look at what we look at and say there has to be a God. But man being what he is does not recognize that. And so that's why Paul says that man faces the wrath of God because after he has revealed his glory to man in the simplest of terms, they still defiantly and persistently refuse To glorify him as God. What happens when men and women refuse to glorify God? I'll come on to the more positive aspect of it in a moment or two, but let me just work through this for a few moments. What happens when men and women refuse to glorify God? Well, Paul said in verse 21, they become thankless. There's a thanklessness in society today. You know... If man will not glorify God for his grace and his love and his mercy and all that he has provided, then he will not recognize God as his source. Simple. Will become thankless. Watch a hundred nature programs on television, and most of them are done brilliantly, expertly. But watch them, you'll not hear God mentioned once. But what you'll hear again and again and again is Mother Nature. Mother Nature this, Mother Nature that. Because the mindset is that Mother Nature has birthed all of this, has provided all this for us, but it's not Father God. It's Mother Nature. There's a thanklessness. But as believers, we're not saying Mother Nature. We're saying God is the, support, is the source. God has provided all of this for us to enjoy and to be blessed and to see a reflection of his glory. Hallelujah. And then it says they become vain in their imaginations. Their foolish hearts become darkened. There's a lot of dark hearts today, isn't there? There's a lot of foolishness that's going on. Uh, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 14, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Their foolish hearts have become darkened. You hear so much nonsense today. (laughs) I mean, just this past week on television, I mean, it's been in all the news, it's been all the outlets, it's been all the papers, all of everything. They've found ripples in space. Einstein predicted it. I don't know, many years ago. Now they find it. It is the biggest find in cosmology since Galileo peered through his telescope hundreds of years ago. This is going to change everything. Back to the drawing board. Now we're getting to know the origin of the universe, they say. Well, let me tell you something. In another five years, in another ten years, there'll be another discovery, and it's back to the drawing board. It's always back to the drawing board because they will not acknowledge God as the creator. And no matter what find they find, they get excited about that because now this is going to give us the answer of life itself. Baloney. It will not provide the answer to life itself at all. God is the creator. He says to be filled with worldly wisdom. 1 Corinthians 3.19, Paul says, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Man thinks he's so clever. And he is clever. But he's not as clever as God. But he thinks he is. Because he thinks he's his own God. And so, worldly wisdom prevails. You see this continually on panel programs. Uh, where there would be a panel of, of pundits, political pundits or whatever, or scientists or whatever, and there's a studio audience. And let one person in that panel in any way acknowledge God, and it's as if all hell breaks loose against him. Did you know recently how that the breakfast television show on Breakfast Every Morning, that the one of the long-standing announcers is retiring, and Dan Walker... Uh, who's a, a football pundit for the best part, he's come and take the place, and he's admitted, I don't want to work on Sundays, because I'm, I'm a Christian believer, and I don't want to work on Sundays. And it, it's just almost as if this man has come from Mars. And there's program after program. Can we trust this man? He's a creationist of all things. He's a creationist. He's a complete nutter. Do we want a creationist on our national program? He'll be, he, he'll be intolerant. He'll be bigoted. It'll be unfair. And on and on it goes. And the poor man is just being slaughtered by the media for one reason or another. Because he says, I believe God. I believe God is the creator. <coughs> See, worldly wisdom thinks differently. Now it says they become idolatrous. Those who do not glorify God becomes idolatrous. They worship the creature more than the creator. Untold, millions around the world still worship inanimate objects. Millions around the world worship creatures that fly, that swim, that creep, That crawl. Hindus is over 300 million gods. They have temples to monkeys, they have temples to snakes, they have their sacred cow, their sacred river, everything and anything other than glorify God. And Paul wrote this 2,000 years ago, and here we are in a sophisticated intelligent, technological, 21st century, and men are still doing this. (laughs) Sophisticated man in the West, he doesn't worship cows and rivers and stone. He worships intellect and science and technology. That's the shrine that he worships. His mantra is, there is no God. (laughs) We have our intellect, we have our technology, we don't need God. We are in effect our own God. So Paul writes that to explain that that's what happens when men refuse to glorify God. But what is God's glory? Think about that for a moment. What is God's glory? Is it a cloud? Is it some kind of ethereal vapor? Is that what it is, or is that all that it is? If, if for whatever reason we are in the house of God and, and say the presence of God come into this house to such an extent that there appeared a kind of a cloud here... That would scare the living daylights out of his first start, wouldn't it? And maybe to some degree, maybe God could manifest himself in that way if he so choose. But if that's our thinking, that that is all there is to the glory of God, then we need to think again. God's glory is the totality of all his divine glory. Attributes. Said again, God's glory is the totality of all his divine attributes. And every time God shows one of his divine attributes, he is showing his glory. Every time. And there are lots of ways that God can show his divine attributes. And when he does, to that degree, he's showing his glory. For instance, his power. In Romans 6 4, Paul writes, Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. And we will be raised from the dead by the glory of God. When God resurrects a human body, he's manifesting his glory to that degree. That's part of his divine attributes. That is his power that does that. And one day, if he doesn't come before then and we go into the earth, one day we will experience that degree of God's glory when he raises us from the dead. Every time God shows something of his power, he's showing something of his glory. And then there's his goodness. Exodus chapter 3, 18, 19. Moses said, I beseech you, show me your glory. And God said, I will make all my goodness to pass before you. Every time God exhibits his goodness to you and to me, to that degree, he's showing his glory. Thank you, Lord. And listen, it happens every single day. Every day, God reveals his glory and his goodness towards us. We're not always conscious of it or aware of it or even think about it, but it's there. It's not a cloud. It's not even a feeling, but it's there. He shows his glory and his goodness. Aren't you glad for the goodness of God? He is so good to us. We're so undeserving of it. But that's his wonderful grace, isn't it? And thirdly, his grace and truth, John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us, and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. Every time God shows his grace every time he speaks his truth to that degree he's showing his glory to us and every time you or I show grace or speak the truth we're showing the glory of God every time because it's full of grace and glory and so We have this opportunity in our lives not only to receive grace and truth, but to show grace and to speak truth. And when we do, to that degree, it's the glory of God. It's a reflection of who God is to those that we come in contact with. His miracles. John 2.11, regarding the, the marriage feast of Canaan, turning water into wine. This beginning of miracles, the Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth His glory. I always find it fascinating that the first time Jesus performs a miracle is to bless a young couple starting out in life. It's to spare the blushes of the bridegroom, because it was his job to make sure there was enough refreshments. And that was the place, the ordinary place, an ordinary couple, an ordinary event. And that's where Jesus chose to manifest (coughs) his glory, to meet the need of that young couple. And every time our need is met— To that degree, God is manifesting his glory. And boy, he has met our needs, hasn't he? Over and over and over again. But we usually don't think of it in terms of God's glory, but it actually is. It's a reflection of his glory. The Lord has always revealed his glory to men so that they may follow him and fellowship with him, but men have continually refused to respond To the glory of God. But we have. Thank God we have. And we have received his glory. So, how can we glorify God in our lives? How do we do that? Think about it in practical terms. How do we glorify God in our daily lives? Well, very simply, first of all, very, very obviously, by getting saved. Philippians 2 and 11, that every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The moment you gave your life to Christ, at that very moment from then on, you're giving him glory you're reflecting His glory in your life. And others begin to see it. They don't understand it. They don't know what it is, but they see a mighty change in us, or at least they should. If it's genuine, if we're truly born again of God's Spirit, then there is a mighty change comes into us and over us that men see, and that is the glory of God. It's a reflection of God's glory that's been in our lives, that's been put into our lives. So the very moment you became a believer, the glory of God came into your life by using our faith. Romans 4.20, Abraham staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. (laughs) Every single time, you use your faith actually you're giving glory to god every time now the bible says we walk by faith not by sight so that means that every single day of your christian life you're walking by faith rather than sight to one degree or another sometimes we're better at it than other times But that's our walk. That's what we do. And when we do that, and when we live that such a way, then we're reflecting the glory of God that's in our lives. And we're dependent. We're trusting. We're believing. We can't see. We haven't seen God. We haven't seen Jesus. And I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, have never even seen an angel. But we believe, and we're trusting, and we're depending. And when we do that, it gives God glory and reflects his glory in us. It's a two-way thing. So every single little step of faith that you have taken since becoming a believer, to that degree, you have shown the glory of God. And it's a wonderful thing. And it really, really pleases God that we believe in him, that we trust him. Whom having not seen, yet believe? (laughs) And Jesus said, There would come people who's never seen him, but will believe in him, and they're going to be blessed. That's us. That's us. You know, oftentimes I'm sure in, in the wee small hours and our minds thinking and we're meditating and we look back and say, wouldn't it have been wonderful to be right there with the master? Wouldn't that have been great to see the turning the water into the wine or Lazarus coming out of the grave? And sure it would. It'd be wonderful to be in the Mount of Transfiguration. All those things is wonderful. Who wouldn't want that as a believer? Of course we would. But it's not going to happen. It's over. It's gone. But what really pleases the master is that even though we weren't there and even though we didn't see that, yet we still believe. We still believe that he's real, that he's alive. We believe that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. We believe that he's our intercessor in heaven for us. We believe that he's our great high priest. All of that gives him glory and he's well pleased. And that takes faith, doesn't it? That takes trust. That takes going beyond what we feel, going beyond what we see in the natural, going beyond all of that there to say, Lord, I believe, I trust. I have read your word. I believe every word is true, and I trust you, and I believe in you. That's faith, and that pleases the heart of God. In fact, without faith, it is impossible to believe God because we must believe that he is. You believe that he is this morning, don't you? Of course you do. That's why we're here. And then by praying, uh, John 14 and 3, Jesus says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, I, I'm not sure that we are... In fact, I'm sure we're pretty sure we're really conscious of this, that every time we go to pray we're glorifying God. If we pray in the will of God, and we pray a right and not a miss, and we pray because our intentions and our motive is good, and we pray because we need to pray, and we pray because it's acknowledging who he is, and whenever we pray, we're saying, Lord, I need you. I I cannot do this by myself. I need your strength. I need your grace. I need your power. I I need your wisdom. I need your guidance. We're showing our need of him. And whenever we do that, we're glorifying him. We're lifting him up. We're saying, Lord, we need you. That's why we're praying. We can't work all of this out. We need your strength on a daily basis. Who doesn't? I do, you do, we all do, don't we? Have you figured life out? Are you smart enough to have all the answers? I'm certainly not. So that's why we pray. And that glorifies God. Listen to what he says again. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we come to the Father through Christ, don't we? He is our avenue to come to the Father. He is the way that's been made for us to come to our Father. And whenever he answers that prayer, look what happens. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we come to the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ. He answers our prayer. That goes back to the glory of the Father. So every time when you pray, the glory goes to God. No wonder he encourages us to pray. God loves to be glorified. It's not because he's a big ego that needs to be satisfied. He loves to be glorified. He's the creator, the redeemer. <laughs> he's everything. And every time you pray, we're acknowledging his goodness, his grace, his love, his mercy, his supply, his strength, his wisdom, all of that is found in him. And every time we pray, we're acknowledging that. By using our God given gifts and talents. First Peter four ten to eleven. As every man has received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God gives, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God has put within every single one of us (laughs) gifts, talents, abilities. Some from the day we were born are latent within us. Calvin called that common grace. So everyone, without exception, has got some ability, a God-given ability. Beyond that, there are spiritual abilities and giftings that God puts in as he wills. So all of us, in some way or another, have got something within us that we can use to bring God glory. All of us. I know that we struggle with inadequacies and feelings of inferiority many times, and we feel, well, it's just me. I'm not... A talented person, uh, I'm not gifted in any way, and we keep saying that. and yet God has put them within us. We need to recognize it may not be what somebody else has got. It may not be as big as somebody else. It may never be on a platform. It may never be in a playing an instrument or singing a song or preaching a sermon, but somehow, some way, God has put something in you that will give him glory. You may be a great encourager. You may be the one that will be a great inspirer of others. Some of you have an inspiring testimony of what God has done in your life. You can give God glory through that testimony. Some of you are are brilliant at certain things. And others recognize it even maybe more than you recognize it. And with that, you can give God glory. And so stop saying to yourself, I don't have anything. I am nothing. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any talents. You have. Buried maybe down there somewhere, but you have. And you can use it to the glory of God. And then by your witness, 2 Thessalonians 3 and 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of God may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. You have a witness. You are a witness. You are a unique witness. Nobody else has got quite your testimony. Nobody else can quite witness the way you can. Because with God, it's not one size fits all. Uh, Read how Jesus dealt with people in the New Testament. Read all of his conversations with individuals. One size didn't fit all. Because everybody's unique in their own way. If I was to ask every one of you to stand up and give a brief testimony, you'd be amazed at the variety of testimony that you would hear. And you've got that as a witness. As a witness to share, for others to hear and to see. You say, well, I hope they see it, but I'm a bit scared about talking about it. But they need to hear it too from your lips. It's amazing what your personal witness can do to somebody because it's a practical thing. It's real life. Somebody will listen to you and say, that actually happened to him or to her, and I can see the change in their life. That's a witness. God has given you the right to do that for him, and when you do it, it brings him glory (laughs) because they know that's not of yourself. Most of us, that get saved later on in life. Those who knew us before we get saved can honestly say there's a change in his life. There's a change in her life. There's a definite change. I can see it. I knew what they were, and I know what they are today. And when it's genuine, and you're walking the walk, and you're talking the talk, and they see that, because they watch for that, don't they? They don't read their Bible, but they read us. They see us. And when they see that, they're seeing your witness and the glory goes to God because they know that wasn't what he was like she was never like that before <laughs> something's changed and something has changed by winning souls second corinthians 4:15 every time and it's the greatest pleasure and the greatest privilege in all of your life to lead somebody to Jesus. It truly, truly is. And, and those of us who have experienced that will know what that feels like. That we had a part to play. Maybe we were the ones who sowed, maybe we were the ones who reaped, but the sowers and reapers rejoiced together, as we said last week. But all of us had a part to play in that. But if you're the one that gets the privilege of that special moment with that person, and you lead them in that prayer of repentance and forgiveness, and you know that it's genuine and it's real, then there is no thing in life like that. And especially, can I say, if it's a family member. (laughs) You say, well, they're the hardest ones to talk to. I understand all of that there. All of this is family members who are not saved and they're tough as old bits, aren't they? I mean, they just... And you say, "Well, I've talked to him a dozen times, and they're worse than ever." I'll well, keep praying and keep talking, Amen. because one day you may have that opportunity, as I've had over many members of my family over the years, especially my dad. When we get down on our knees in that little pensioner's bungalow, my dad, my mother, and me, and he prayed that prayer at 75 years of age, and he wept, and he came to Christ. What a joy. You could not buy that. A million pounds would not buy that at that moment when you know that they're truly born again of God's Spirit. And then when they die and they go to the glory, and you know I had the privilege of leading them to Christ and have done this with uncles and cousins. It's wonderful. It's a tremendous privilege. And when you do it, you have given God glory. He's glorified in that we're almost through and then by keeping ourselves pure by keeping ourselves pure 1 Corinthians six, twelve to 20 you can read that later I'll not read it now for sake of time but by keeping ourselves pure our bodies are the temples of the Holy Spirit this is why Paul says to flee immorality <clears throat> to flee it to run from it. You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belong to God. God is our creator. Christ is our redeemer. From the moment you get saved, you became very conscious that you're not your own anymore, that you cannot do what you want with your life Without God's permission, we become stewards of our bodies, of our very souls. God has given us His Spirit. Your physical body is perfect for your spirit. (laughs) The two go together. But your body is also perfectly suited. As a home for the Holy Spirit on earth. Perfectly suited as a home for the Holy Spirit on earth. And therefore, because your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, perfectly suited for his habitation on earth, therefore, Paul says, Flee immorality. Keep it pure because the Holy Spirit wants to inhabit. That's his house. That's his home on earth, in you and in me and in the body of Christ. So you can understand why Paul says, flee immorality. Don't fool with it. You think of Joseph and the pressure he came under with Potiphar's wife, who came on to him so strongly every day. And he kept resisting and resisting to the point where he flee. He he just ran. He just ran out of that house. He just could not get enough distance between him and her. And he felt he had to. He must flee. And so keep ourselves pure. Then by being fruitful, John 15 and 8, Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. So our our lives to the degree that we bear fruit. And there's lots of ways that we can bear fruit. And when we're bearing fruit, we're glorifying him. Because that's the the upshot, the result, the outcome of him indwelling us. He's the vine, we're the branches. And we're attached to the vine. And whenever we're attached to the vine, then the fruit begins to come. I, I could point to so many of you today, and there's a lot of us not here that I could equally point to, whose lives are fruitful. And you can see the fruit. And and, and can see... I mean, I look at these two girls leading the worship this morning. Know them since they're babies, since they're little babies. You know, think of Rebecca here and Rachel in Madagascar and, and our own daughter, and, and, and you can see the fruit in their lives. You can just see it. It's there for everybody to see, bearing fruit. Don't you think that glorifies God? They're not wasting their lives, they're giving glory to God. And it's there for all to see. And so God gets glorified through that. It's wonderful. Think of Johnny coming here when he's just a 15-year-old boy. Johnny's fifteen, a wee fresh-faced boy. I don't even know if he was shaving at that point. And now he's an old married man with two children and one on the way. And he leads worship. And he does tons of stuff. So you can see the fruit. It's there for everybody to see. And I could go around the whole congregation to one degree or another, your 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 fruit bearers. And all of that together is glorifying God, isn't it? And finally, by our praise and by our worship. Psalm fifty twenty-three. Whoso offers praise glorifies me. Hmm. Do you know that right now we're worshiping God? Worshiping God didn't stop when the band stopped playing. In a few moments when we break bread together, we'll be worshiping God. Before we leave, we'll give an offering. We'll be worshiping God. From the moment you stepped into this house this morning, you were worshiping God. You may not have been conscious of that, but you are. And you're glorifying God. All of this is to glorify God. You're driving along in your car, you have a praise tape on, you're singing away. You're glorifying God. You go into your room, you close the door, you have your quiet time, you have your Bible, you're reading, you're, pre- you're glorifying God. Hmm? All of it is to glorify God. And with that, God is well pleased. He loves us to glorify Him. Amen? And so when we come, when we sing together, corporately or individually, in our homes or in our car or wherever we may be, making psalms and hymns and spiritual songs in our hearts unto the Lord. (laughs) My wife's a hummer. I don't know, is anybody else in here, your wife or your husband's a hummer? My wife's a hummer. And her sister in Australia's a hummer. So when the two of them is together in my house, I get it in stereo. And from the moment she gets up in the morning to the moment she goes to bed at night, she hums. And sometimes it's recognizable. Sometimes, oh, I know what that is. Other times, I have no idea what it is. He's just humming. But lots of times, and I heard her the other day, and she was humming around the house, and I'm listening, thinking, I know that song. I know that. That's a praise and worship one. And I had to listen just for a little bit, because you only get wee snippets. When somebody hums, it's just wee snippets. Sometimes it's the same wee snippet over and over again. And I listened to that. Yeah, that, we sing that in church. That's one of those things. Do you know what? Even though she's not even conscious of that, that is glorifying God, because the Lord hears that. Even whenever we talk one to another about the things of God, (laughs) the Bible says the Lord hearkens and hears it, and he writes it down. (laughs) It glorifies him. Isn't it wonderful? We are glorifying God by our lives every day in so many ways. And he wants that to continue. Whatever you do, Paul says, whatever you do, glorify God. Give him the honor that's due to him. Those little children we told you before in the Ukraine when we go there and you say, tell them, you know, you're beautiful. And they say, Bogo. Glory to God. <laughs> they just reflect glory to God. <laughs> uh, and in a childlike way that's what we should do, shouldn't we? We give glory to God. Sometimes when I go home there's maybe somebody who who might just might someday say something complimentary. <laughs> Doesn't happen often but sometimes. You know what you do with that? You say, "Lord, I give you the glory." Thank you, Lord, for helping me today. Because I need your help every single day, every moment. Otherwise I cannot do this. Well, technically you could, but wouldn't be the same without the glory of God. Sure it wouldn't? Yeah. Let's pray. going to take a few moments together to partake of this table. And as I said, this is also glorifying God. And we're reminding ourselves of what Jesus did for us 2,000 years ago. And it's still as real today as ever it was. His blood still avails today still is the power to cleanse, to forgive, to make whole. And so I'm going to invite those who are serving or playing just to come, please. And we'll just take these moments together, partaking of that which represents his body and his blood. Lord, we just stop a moment in thanks and praise and worship for what you have done for us. We think of the cross. Think of all that you went through for us. All that you suffered for us. That terrible moment of separation from the Father for us. We bless you Lord from the bottom of our hearts we give you thanks Amen. thank you for saving us Lord. bless you that your mercy came to us and you found us Lord rebellious far from you not even thinking of you while we were yet sinners Christ died for us thank you Lord so, Lord, as we partake of these emblems, the bread and the cup, we give you thanks for your mercies. They're new, they're fresh every morning because great is your faithfulness. And at this moment, we want to glorify you. And we'll do that by giving you thanks for saying, Lord, You paid the price to give us this life so that we could glorify God. So just take and hold for a moment. And in your own heart and in your own way, just close in with him and give him thanks. Just make it personal between you and him today. And God will be glorified. And he'll be satisfied. We're not perfect people. If we waited till we're perfect to partake of this, we'd never partake of it. But we're reaching out in love towards the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your love and mercy. We love you because you first loved us. And you saved us. So bless you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the salvation that it provided, the life that it imparted. We're redeemed. We're bought back by the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast.